0: We got the alternative energy right. on free autonomy and welcome to the radioactive show produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the community radio network.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the radioactive show produced at 3CR Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the community radio network. My name is Lavanya Pan and we're coming at you live from the unceded lands of the Kulin nations and bringing you nuclear-free news and views every week. Today I have on the line Sister Michelle Madigan from South Australia, a long-term anti-nukes activist and a member of the Australian Nuclear Free Alliance. Hi Michelle, Hi, thanks for joining us today. Um, yeah, so yes, so I'm our... coming
2: from Narendri Land. Good morning everyone. Good
1: morning. And so some of our listeners already know you quite well, but could you start with telling us a bit about yourself and your involvement in the anti-nuclear movement, specifically with the campaign against the National Radioactive Waste dump in Cooper PD? Yes,
2: yeah, sure. Just quickly, um, I've been a sister of St. Joseph for a long time and about 40 years ago the nuns let me leave uh, one of our official involvements in school to um, try to mix with Aboriginal people in South Australia. So um, during that time, uh, after a few years, I got to know Yalata people and um, I was really quite amazed. And I think as a South Australian, it's amazing what we don't know, and I know a lot of Australians still don't know, um, about the Maralinga bombs. So, um, of course, they were moved from their country. And uh, before I went there, um, one of the things that I was involved in, uh, just was able to visit, was the 1984-1985 uh, um, Royal Commission against that nuclear um, disaster, really, that's still having repercussions in South Australia. and No doubt everywhere, but we don't know. And once uh Lavinia, um I remember marching in a uh, August the sixth um peace march in Adelaide and um of course it's just shocking the Japanese um situation. But my um post my uh, what I was holding up uh, said, What about Maralinga? Um and of course it's better known now. Uh, so I went to Coober Pedi after Yalata in the um, 1990s and uh, was really quite shocked to hear about the people there were concerned about the Maralinga uh, situation because the winds had come over and uh, those big desert winds uh, on the prevailing winds west uh, hit Coober P D too. Um, so they were also trying to get compensation and then uh, the ladies, um, Kuba Pedy, Kunga, Juda, the senior women, started a women's group. And um, when their helper was too busy having got another job, they just asked me to do that. And then it came up about 1998 about the the national radioactive waste dump that was um, for the federal uh, that was mm-hmm. proposed um, not far from Kuba Pedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what happened.
1: Okay, great. And um, so speaking of federal radioactive waste dumps, a lot of our listeners already know that uh, there's a currently proposed waste dump on near Kimba in, uh, on bungalow land, and the bungalow have always unanimously opposed that, but very recently they've made a submission to the Senate Standing Economic Legislations Committee of Inquiry. Can you tell us a bit more about what the Bungalow Determination Aboriginal Committee have stated in the submission?
2: Yes, um, I I found it a very helpful submission to study myself because uh, especially the second uh, point that I highlighted in uh, the Eureka Street article that you've referred to when you rang me up, mm-hmm. that's why you're asking me to be on the show. Um, mm-hmm. I heard uh, these uh, the great people, uh, Jim Green and uh, David Noonan, uh, saying um da 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 but I... I didn't really understand it because it's so horrible that uh, um, that just the convolutions that the government's prepared to go to uh, to um, dispossess the Bangala. So I kept my article out so I'd make sure that I got it right. Um, Apart from uh, what the farmers want as well uh, is not to have, this is the first point, the easy point, not to have any... Teleconferences, you know how difficult it is, teleconferences, and uh, especially for people that are used to face to face and are very, um, very connected like that, like um, a lot of Aboriginal people are, they know that it would be just very detrimental to their work. Um, so that was a big point they made in the submission that wait till the coronavirus troubles are over and uh, then have the face to face meetings. On country they say and as uh, Peter Woolford one of the farmers um, is making the big point uh, 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 also Kimber, Wyala and Adelaide to have those public hearings but the second thing uh, is uh, uh, they just announced a terrible strategy so the minister refused to make a formal declaration when he Mm -hmm. chose Nappendee, which is just a a site on uh, Jeff Baldock of Farmer's Land, and he made a policy decision. So that means that he's now presented it to Parliament, and Parliament are the ones, uh, through this inquiry, um, he's seeking to change the legislation so that Parliament will select Nappendee and thereby stopping any judicial oversight of anything untoward in the long process to date.
1: Right, okay. So this is from your recently published article in Eureka Street. Do you notice yep. any similarities in the Cooper PD campaign and in the current outcome? Is this unprecedented, what the Minister is trying to do, or well, um, are they doing this in response to previous campaigns and the way people have uh, opposed them?
2: I'm sure, I'm sure what you're saying is quite true, Lavanya, that um they've learnt a great deal about the previous campaigns the Kuga one had three different sites really it ended up being near Woomera. Uh, that was the plan uh and then the next one in the northern territory the Mukitee. Uh so they learnt a that um you have to make it very local and they've done that you know they've just picked this tiny little area in um, around Kimber which is exactly halfway across Australia, um, on, the top, on, the very, um, on the top of North uh, York, sorry, on the top of their peninsula, and um, they had a very small uh, radius of people that could vote. So that was one thing the government learnt. The other thing is that they've learnt that you've got to pay. You have to promise not only the person whose land it's going to be and Jeff Baldock's going to be, paid handsomely four times what the market price is for his area mm-hmm. but the com the whole region uh, which is very small really um just a, a kimber a, you know town area is going to get money as well so mm-hmm. that that's right. an answer to your question what have they learned they've learned heaps. and that yeah. makes the that makes the this present campaign. Uh, a a lot harder, really, although it shouldn't because it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and so in your article, you also talked about a recent um, finding by a Parliamentary Joint Committee on Human Rights, and their report was critical of uh, the treatment of Bangalore traditional owners. Um, In that report, on what grounds have they found this process to be a breach of human rights?
2: Well, this is really good, isn't it, that the uh, federal committee uh, can do that, and it was a unanimous uh, decision, uh, both by coalition members and Labor members, um, The Bangala were denied a vote. Um, they they couldn't believe it. They worked for um, 20 years to get their native title rights. They only got them last year, as I understand it. might have been the year before. Um And um, then they were faced with all of this, um, not being allowed a vote. Um, And the vote, as I said, was a very tiny area. So none of them actually lived there anymore. It wasn't easy to live in Kimber. Um, And um, I remember meeting the last person, the last Aboriginal person who who did live there. Um, But... um, the vote was denied also to other farmers who live closer to the site than the, um, than the town people. Uh, so that was seen as um, especially affecting the Bungala. And when they did conduct their own vote uh, by a professional independent group, not one person voted for it. They didn't all vote. As people pointed out, they were just so um, you know, exhausted by the whole process. Um, but um, the 83 people that voted all voted against the. So um, that's um, some of the aspects that the government um, parliamentary joint committee on human rights has um, found. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, uh, and so. Uh, And under the current situation, under the global pandemic, all these fights um, that traditional owners face on their own land are going to be harder. And in your article on Eureka Street, you also wrote about the large amount of funding cuts over the years and how they've left a lot of communities highly unprepared for this, and let alone for the other fights that they have on a daily basis. Um, Mm, And its effects have been felt disproportionately um, in those communities already. What are some um, short and long-term concerns in those communities that you know?
2: Yeah, um, it's such a long history, isn't it, of funding cuts. Um, Howard um, cut so many and we all came from Coober the ladies and me, um, he, I've forgotten how much it was. It was a bit, half a billion dollars or something. And uh, Abbott cut an enormous amount, and then um, after that, um, there would be um, one I itemised more in the article about Nigel Scullion, the past um, immediate past um, Indigenous so-called um, minister. They were just scandalous, you know, um, funding big um, commun- uh, big um, concerns organisations. Um, football teams, uh, football league, everything. Anyway, so, of course, there hasn't been money um, for the housing, and um, the housing is, is uh, very run down. Imagine there aren't any other people in in Australia, are pretty sure to say, don't you, that um, are living mm. over 20 people in a house. So it's had a huge impact, and as um, Pat said, Turner says, the CE of the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organization, Nacho, if coronavirus gets into our communities, we're gone.
1: Okay. There's nowhere to um, wash
2: your hands. Uh, you know, keep you can't keep social distancing with uh, those situations. Yeah.
1: Okay. Sister Michelle, that's all we have time for today, unfortunately, but thank you so much for coming on to our show.
2: Thank you, LaVania. La- very yeah. best to um, all of your team. Uh, this is a very important uh, thing that you're doing, keeping up the weekly show. Yeah, we, ha- we long for a day, don't we, when there's no... We won't have to be fighting these spots. Yes, the
1: absolutely. Yeah, thank you. All the best and take care. Bye-bye. You know that there are billions of stars in the universe and that the stars have planets. In almost all instances, dominant form of life on these planets is quite different from yours. For many of your centuries, we tried to establish communication with you, would, but never have great about it. in <laughs> the
0: I've no doubt, but you never know I'm out. i myself, and that's the symphony. It all lives in me. The star trails, the star dust supplies. We have astrology, just, just trying to connect. Here with my long necks on the floor, ready to bear my soul like a shark's jaw. Jetty lights, take the stage in the 90s. See. One, two, three, eight degrees. Balance is the feel of life, what we look for. Six feet deep, like this metaphor. Ropes and roofers sail to the east shore. We would bring this close down to the south port This is ready for the journey to begin. Rather nice guy sleeping on my chin. super of skin in the madhead. Fucked up looking. Ooh, Drifted, choking and driving In my deep, in my sleep Baby, now Baby, now Hip-hop jazz Trip-hop, Baby, nice now nice I feel the cosmos Switch right through my soul But shows me ready for this rock and roll This is the I wanna breathe, I want you keep slow, I'm the same as those, but it in between the lines, Skipping you a look to your sky sign. i the planet Earth.
1: listening to Milky Way by Lady Lash from her album, also called Milky Way. You are listening to the Radioactive Show on 3CR Melbourne, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. And now I have on the line with me Jem Rommel, the Australian Director for the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. Hi, Jem.
3: Hi, love.
1: And welcome to the Red Show.
3: Thanks Um, so much for having me.
1: Um, yeah, so our listeners have, you know, um, they've been, a lot of our listeners are pretty up to date with what ICANN has been doing over the years. But quite recently, you've been running uh, a few successful divestment campaigns. Can you tell us about that and all the newly nukes free super funds?
3: Yeah, sure. So there have been divestment campaigns going on uh, throughout the ICANN network around the world for a couple of years now. And these have been spurred on by the creation of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, which I'm sure many Radio listeners will have heard about before. Um, part of this treaty is uh, a um, prohibition on assistance to produce uh, nuclear weapons in Article 1E, which um, includes the financing of nuclear weapons. So it means that in countries that join this treaty... Um, depending on how they ratify, it could be that financial institutions in those countries would not be able to uh, lend money or to financially support companies that are involved in the production of nuclear weapons or their delivery systems. So um, in Australia, we've, been, we've started a, a div- divestment campaign um, combined with MAPW, which is the Medical Association for Prevention of War. Um, and This campaign is this campaign's called Quit Nukes and um, we're focusing on superannuation funds in Australia and uh, meeting with funds, talking to them about their investments in nuclear arms producers, um, letting them know about the treaty and the fact that it's only really a matter of time before Australia signs up to that treaty and encouraging them to exclude uh, nuclear weapons from their portfolios. Um, we've found that a lot of funds um, already do have exclusions on controversial weapons, but if you dig into the detail, that doesn't necessarily mean that they would be excluding investments in producers of nuclear weapons, which seems counterintuitive. Um, so hopefully a lot of funds will be open to um, knuckling down on that detail and changing that, especially with, with the impending entry into force of the treaty, which we expect within the next within the next year. So, happily, there are now four funds in Australia, superannuation funds, that um, are on the Quit Nukes honour roll, which means that um, they have very clearly implemented policies and excluded any investments in nuclear arms producers. And those four funds um, are Australian Ethical Superannuation, Future Super, and the two recent ones to, to be celebrated by Quit Nukes are Christian Super and Verve Super. Um, and we're in conversation with a lot of other funds as well to hopefully get them over the line too.
1: Okay, great. And uh, just going back to your point about the treaty coming into effect in the next year, that's what you're anticipating. But under the current uh, global pandemic, um, are there any repercussions for these countries to sign, for countries signing the treaty who might not sign now that would have otherwise? And any barriers that the campaign is facing and how it's affected campaign moments like the NPT negotiations?
3: Yeah, sure. So the treaty currently has 81 signatories and 35 states parties. So usually countries will first sign and then ratify, meaning that they agree to be bound, legally bound by the treaty once it enters into force. For the treaty to enter into force, it needs 50 states parties, so 50 countries to ratify, um, which will definitely happen. Um, It's just a matter of of time and of uh, countries that have signed, um, getting their approvals through Parliament, getting all of the right um, boxes ticked and handing in their instruments of ratification. So this is a process that can take time within many governments and the impact of the pandemic has, has been to potentially slow that process down as governments are dealing with, with the pandemic. So um, it means that they, it could take extra time um, to, to see the entry into force of the treaty. Um, however, there are a couple dozen countries that are um, quite far along in their processes and will hopefully be able to pro- progress them um, within the next couple of months. So I think that there is an impact just in the, the slowing down of processes as other priorities have had to come to the fore, like dealing with, you know, this public health crisis. Um, otherwise, I mean, the main barrier to the, to the treaty is um, the nuclear-armed states putting pressure on countries around the world not to sign and ratify the treaty. But that's been the same from the beginning, and that will continue. Um, probably the nuclear-armed states will be the last ones to join this treaty. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where Australia's situate, uh, position in the world is is very important and potentially influential um, as a country who who can actually say, no, we have a good relationship with the US, but we don't agree on nuclear weapons, and we will stand separately to you on that by signing and ratifying that that treaty. And that's something that will inevitably happen, but is will take a continued and persistent public campaign uh, to, to make sure that does happen within the next couple of years.
1: Okay, great. And a public-facing campaign and engaging your supporters is also a big part of your campaign, and I'm sure that's definitely been slightly hindered by... If, um, not being able to go out and meet other people. So how are you overcoming that and how have you adapted the campaign with your members and supporters?
3: Mm, yeah, great question. And I, I realised I forgot to mention the NPT, which you asked about, which is there was supposed to be um, starting next week the review conference for the Non-Proliferation Treaty, um, which would have been a really important time for countries to get together and talk about what they're doing for disarmament. Um, that treaty, I think, is facing a bit of a, a moment of truth. It's 50 years since it was uh, created, and it clearly hasn't achieved its aim of one of its aims of total nuclear disarmament. Um, so mm-hmm. that meeting has been postponed, and it will be held at the UN uh, within the next year. So um, that that will be, you know, an, a really important milestone to. Um, to hold countries accountable for the lack of progress under that treaty and also to to expose Australia's position um, and to to advocate for for change, which which requires public awareness as well of of what Australia's terrible position is. But back to your question about how we're changing and adapting. Um, Well, yeah, it really is obviously a shame that we can't gather in person and that we can't have hold meetings. um, We can't do public events. Um, This is a, an especially important year as the 75th anniversary of the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and, and also of the very first nuclear explosion that ever occurred, which was the Trinity nuclear test in the deserts of New Mexico on the 16th of July. So various you know, events and commemorations that were planned will need to move online, but as many campaigns already know and as many campaigns have already been practising for years, there is so much we can do in the digital realm and so much we can do to also take advantage of everything being online. It means that we can have meetings with people from across the country and around the world at the drop of a hat. So we've, we've been enjoying that. Um, we've mm-hmm. set up a series of monthly hangouts just to keep everyone connected and updated and, and provide a fairly informal chance to, to chat about the campaign and, and plan some different strategies in this time. We had our first one last week talking about the City's Appeal and how to get more Councils to, to endorse the City's Appeal to declare their support for the treaty and the next one uh, is coming up on the 18th of May on a Monday night and we'll be talking there about um, how we'll uh, commemorate and campaign around the 75th anniversaries that I mentioned later this year. And we'll also hear from a second-generation Hibakusha Izeo Morimoto, whose late mother survived the Hiroshima bombing, and she lived in Sydney and was a, an artist and wrote the children's book My Hiroshima that has been a real eye-opener for, for children around the world. So, yeah, there's, there's lots we can do. It's also important to make sure that our public representatives and councils and in state and federal parliament don't you know escape us, or don't hide behind yeah. pandemics? They should still be okay. accessible to us. Jem, Sorry. thanks
1: so much for the update and I'll put the details yes. on our website for the next ICANN meetup and Great. yeah, folks, that's all we've got time for today we we're just hearing the latest campaign updates from Jem Rommel from ICANN thanks so much for tuning in to the Radioactive Show please get in touch with us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com or via our Facebook page and let us know what you think and what issues you would like for us to cover in the future you can download our podcast at www www.3cr.org.au radioactive. I'd like to thank our guest sister Michelle Madigan and Jem Rommel from ICANN once again. The Radioactive show is produced in the two studios at 3CR Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. And a big shout out to the Friends of the Earth Melbourne for their continued support for this show. That's all for now. Stay safe, stay healthy everyone and keep tuning in for Nuclear Free News and views.